4: Hello, everybody. It is your spiky-armed, gun-handed, coheed bruiser, Holden McNeely.
0: And I've got a virus in me! So watch it! I'm Admiral Krom. (laughs) I'm beloved character Admiral Krom. I absorb your energy, and then I'm like a torso, and I'm different from Darth Maul. I'm very clearly (laughs) different than Darth Maul. (laughs) And
4: today we have a guest, my wife, Lexi, who's a... Fan of this band that we're covering today, Coheed and Cambria. She's, if you're Coheed, she's Cambria. Yeah, she's Cambria.
5: I mean, I personally really identified with Ambolina, the prize. Yes. So, yes. yeah.
4: You are such an Ambolina, and you are such a prize. And more ways than one, my beautiful wife. I'm so happy you're here Gross. with us.
5: Don't make because them up. my
4: sweet, ooh, gooshy, gooshy. Uh, but honestly, it is nice to have you because, you know, we talked about this back in the day. But you are the person closest to me that I know that actually is, was, whatever you want to call it, a Coheed and Cambria fan to the point where uh, you took yourself to see them in Boston. That's how much uh, you like them. You went solo to the show.
5: Oh, yeah. I went solo to a lot of shows. Cause I'd like them that much. And all of the people I knew in Boston were lame.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She made good friends at her college for some reason, which is <laughs> shocking to me. Cause you're very sociable, but either way, uh, this is my gush. I literally just poured over this music just this past week. I've listened to all of the discography though. At this point I've read comics. I've read the pro some of the pros I've read. So too much. To be honest, and listen to almost too much, to be honest, but I have grown such a deep respect and appreciation for this body of work as something wholly unique uh, from even the 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 biggest concept albums out there. I feel like even still, it is just absolutely on its own level in terms of just content and everything. And I think my big thing that I'll just go ahead and say right now, this is my thesis statement. This made me understand opera better. This Mm -hmm. is opera for the kids And and I think what really hit it home is like you can read the comics and get something out of those and you can read the stories and read the synopses and understand in an intellectual level the dramatic depth of what's going on in this sci fi universe that's been created. But uh, it's the music that you listen to that, that gets the emotional depth across. And without that, I don't think you have as strong of a work as when you do when you have someone just belting out these big, dramatic moments in these uh prague pu- uh pop punk emo mix of music that just hits all these great emotional heights and depths and highs and lows and uh yeah so I almost want to go see an opera.
0: First of all, Holden, how dare you define them as prog emo when they're clearly melodic metalcore <laughs> post-grunge? They're A You things. philistine, <laughs> you goddamn poser. I mean, obviously, this is a rudimentary categorization. <laughs> if we want to get into the uh, pre-melodic <laughs> post-core, oh, God, it's impossible. It's impossible. Uh, but Jake, Jake, before we ask Lexi,
4: and, and really, she's got the real gush, uh, what's your tiny little gush corner for us
0: you know that feeling when you're minding your business and you think you're (laughs) walking through a quiet intersection and then like say your partner or your mother or your friend just like grabs your shoulder and you're like "Oh, what the fuck and then a truck just zooms past (laughs) (laughs) and you realize the power and destruction that you narrowly avoided that is how I feel about Coheating and Cambria. In 2002 and 2003 and 2004, I was prime target. This band could have been my life. I remember like on TRL watching the videos for Welcome Home and The Suffering and being like, yeah, it's pretty rad. I kind of like this. But I just never happened to get into it. But it the totally combination passed
4: me by. I had not. I was not listening to any of this music or or anything like it back then. But go the on. The
0: combination of the comic book lore, the uh, kind of uh, alternative bands, like kind of nerdy uh, but hard rocking band, the pat uh, just giant. Let's let's talk about how uh, like throughout this episode how. The music, the comic, everything about this band is a swirling blender of like every nerdy thing that like an alienated emotional teen can get into from like Led Zeppelin to Death Leopard to Scientology, like all (laughs) crammed into a single thing. And having to shotgun all of that was so intense to the point where like you start out listening to like, you know, uh, a just a you know, good Apollo, I'm a burning star. And then like just being like, I get yeah, okay, it sure is woogity woo And by the end of this week, like, knowing exactly who Mayo is, yeah. and like <laughs> the uh, you know, the cries of, you know, what should be just a wailing kind of complicated operatic metal song is like, ah, yes, the writer is in conflict with Claudio over the death of Ambolina, who he feels he must destroy as an avatar of Erica, his. Fake girlfriend, who is the writer's real girlfriend, who is also Claudio, the actual singer, talking about his actual, actual girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's a lot. I
4: was definitely Charlie in the mail room and it's always sunny yesterday with just like strings connected to papers and my hair all over the place. But uh, either way, uh, somebody who experienced it more as it was coming out, especially the earlier albums, is Lexi. Lexi, what, what was your personal Situation with with this band.
5: So my friend introduced me to them. She had the CD in her car, and we were sharing her car because we were both working at the IHOP in Saint Augustine, Florida. <laughs> and so, uh, anytime I would drive, I'd just be like, "Yeah, I'm," you know, put this in. And I was just like, "Man, this is really, really good. This is like." The, um, I've never heard something that was so heartfelt and so theatrical without being a rock opera, you know, without, without having, um, you know, a play or, or, or that sort of visual component yet to put it to. And I was just so taken with it and, you know, studying the liner notes and everybody was trying to come up with their interpretation of, of. The story of what he was saying, what this was about. Is it really about Coheed and Cambria? You know, really the, the earlier albums focus more on Claudio. Um, and anyway, so it, it was just very, very <sighs> challenging in a good way, because you got to analyze something and you just really got to nerd out about it. And yeah. um, so our this, is the nerdy, friends... this
4: may be the nerdiest thing we've covered on this show. I'm not going to lie.
0: <laughs> it's like somebody took the like weird teenage uh, instinct that um, say like a modern kid right now would have consuming hours of like fan theories about Undertale or Five Nights at Freddy's, but it was a, an album instead of a video game. It's that same level of ambiguousness that hints at such a greater universe that like the hunger to actually understand it is just consuming.
4: And tailor made for the internet too. I mean, just perfect for that for message boards and things like that. But yeah, so you guys were, so you didn't have a comic book or anything like that to based off of what were, how were you getting your information?
5: So, just interpreting the liner notes the lyrics you know and um, then i uh, would go online and l- l- sort of access whatever platform i could namely live journal and <laughs> uh, just dive into to all of these different theories and then several years later they re- you know they released the comic book and it things got much more <laughs> clearly much more um, explained but I really enjoyed piecing it together. And it's like, okay, so who is he singing as now? And he's a wonderful, emotionally powerful actor when he's Mm -hmm. singing all these different parts. And I just love to imagine this powerful rock opera just going on uh, in you know before my eyes just i i could piece it all together i could see you know all of these characters on stage and playing out all of these parts and singing all of these songs and you know seeing a big uh dramatic light change or a uh, lighting change whenever you know this thing would happen in the song it's so it just lends itself the theatricality of Coheed and Cambria is what made me love them. I liked them. And then once I dove into like, ooh, there's a story here. Ooh, there's lore. Then it was just like, oh, it was off to the races. But um, so all of, all of my friends, these were Jacksonville friends uh, that got me into them. And then when I went to Boston, I, <laughs> I tried to get all of my friends, you know, my little theater nerd friends into this. And they were just like, oh no, why is he screaming? And <laughs> I... Was tasked with choreographing a dance in (gasps) my (laughs) my choreography (laughs) class, and I was just like, "Oh, heart shot kid disaster!" Yes, we're gonna (laughs) really just you know do some fiery, powerful moves on that scream, and so I did. I I choreographed a dance to it, (laughs) presented it, and you know, alienated the entire class. Course, everybody else is doing, you know, um heart or bin folds and it's all lyrical, and uh I'm I am uh doing Screamo and it was um it didn't really help me make friends, but that's okay because I took myself to the concerts.
0: Oh, okay, so you mentioned Screamo because it feels like Coheed kind of rode in kind of under the radar yes. of that um I my emo. Chronology is way off Cause, So I know there's a You know You can subcategorize And the used is different Than like Jimmy Eat World It's com- you know Completely different uh, We did a whole episode About My Chemical Romance And how they're sure. not even Technically emo But like What were other bands That were in that umbrella your friends were also into
5: AFI Thursday mm-hmm. Thrice uh,
0: Yeah it,
5: Like Pretty much against me A little bit <laughs> Um. So But really It was Coheed that I was such a huge fan of. I didn't really, I mean, I really liked AFI a lot too, but I, um, I, I had a very eclectic, uh, taste, uh, in music. So I wasn't really, I wasn't trying to. You were
4: like a scene kid. Yeah. Yeah.
5: That wasn't me at all. And, um, Yeah. yeah, it was just, I, I liked it because of the theatricality of it, because of the mystery really liked piecing the stories together. That was what, um, was so meaningful to me back in the day. Hell yeah. So
0: that's like a key thing is because Coed and Cambria are such a blender of all these different things, you could get comic book nerds in there who found it just from like being into image comics and independent press and then getting a listen to it. You could get scene people who like the, you know, any song that just has a, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, that. as part of the post-chorus. <laughs> Um, you could have metalheads who just like screeching, you know, uh, pinched harmon, pinched harmonics. That's a, that's a sentence. That's a, that's a term I learned.
4: Yeah. I mean, there's all music nerd thing with like altering time signatures. that goes that, then totally fall. Yeah. Every type of nerd there is can essentially fu- come to this music and <laughs> bliss out on it. And, and what I love about it too, is it all is exists because this guy was really shy and insecure and had a lot of things he wanted to say about his personal life, but he had to hide it behind music and storytelling
0: in order to do that. So it's like it's just so nerdy. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, not to give up the ghost, but like coming to the realization that like the plot of Good Apollo, uh, my I'm a Burning Star, like the breakout album, like. Behind all of the the minotaurs and scorpions in the music videos, behind (laughs) all the lasers and angels and mages and all these things, is basically just the prog rock version of Eminem talking about how he wants to kill his wife. (laughs) Because he was
4: mad at her. It's completely true. Well, let's get into it. Uh, We have so much to talk about here. And uh, I love this. 13, almost 14 minutes in, here's the synopsis. Coheed and Cambria are an American progressive rock band from Nyack, New York. The formed back in 1995, the band currently consists of members Claudio Sanchez, who does the vocals, guitar, keyboard. Also, he's like the dude who like writes all this stuff for the most part. And his wife, which we'll talk about that, Travis Stever on guitar and vocals, Josh Eppard on drums and keyboard and Zach Cooper on bass. Their nine albums are mostly concept albums except for one, which we will get to, and they are based on a sci-fi storyline called The Armory Wars, which Claudio Sanchez created and have been turned Amory, into... Amory, Amory. I'm Armory sorry, did I say Armory, my bad. The Amory Wars, which Claudio Sanchez uh, created and have been turned into a series of comic books as well as a full-length novel and a novella, and we will, pour, we will give you the reading order, we will pour through all of this stuff, but let's start with the history of of Claudio Sanchez himself. He was born in Suffern, New York in 1978. He had a love for things... Quote, love for things that were fantastic and odd, end quote, early on, especially Star Wars and comic books as a whole. He was, as we mentioned, a shy kid and found expression through music and storytelling. Sanchez said, with art and music, it allows me to have a voice that I don't necessarily have in my personal life. For years, I've just been this introverted individual, even though in the past I created the concept to hide behind. It allows me to speak my mind freely. I get to be someone else when I start to create. Uh at, at freshman freshman year of high school is the year he starts going to concerts. Uh, my first two concerts, he said, were really I think what centered uh, or rather cemented me into the idea of this much bigger story in terms of music. The first one was Sabbath at the Beacon Theater with Dio fronting. Fuck yeah, dude! This was my first concert. I went and I was like, wow, this is amazing. The way the lights are interacting with the band. Then my second one was Pink Floyd on the Division Bell tour. That's when I started to fall down the rabbit hole of progressive rock and conceptual albums and things like that. Besides that, he worked at a pet shop and he loved this job. And so many things came from this job and crept into his whole story in the Amory Wars. Uh, So many names of things. They really supported him. They believed in him creatively. Like, I love this story. It's so cute. And then they also just like they gave him weekends off when he needed it to play with his band, stuff like that. He ends up naming the keywork, work, uh, which we'll get into the definition of the keywork in a little bit. He names the keywork after the guys that own the store and its color being blue is due to the blue backdrops of the fish tanks. And that was his department. He worked in the fish department. Uh, Sanchez said the main villain I named after one of the managers because he actually said, hey, if you ever do make the story, I want to be your villain. The fact that he sort of believed in me that I would actually make this thing. So I named the character after him. So I think it's really sweet. Uh, so then we talk about the mini bands. I love. They describe this as like we just like were the same band with different names because we all knew each other and we're like buddies with each other. So like they, he he goes through a bunch of different band names, but um they've they will eventually land on Coheed. But originally he was in a band with uh, Travis Stever called Beautiful Loser, and this was in the in New York City local scene, and this is back in March of 1995. And then uh, they were in a band called Toxic Parents uh, that at that time break up. They then form a band with drummer Nate Kelly. Um, oh, that's called Beautiful Loser. So they're to- Toxic Parents, the Beautiful Loser with this guy John Corleo on bass. They only last a few months before breaking up after an argument over gas money. Classic. Been there. And, <laughs> and Stever leaves and they change the name to the w- one, of, one of the more particularly, I think, bad
0: names for a band. Shabooty. No, now Shabooty is a beloved. Yep, that's it. (laughs) It also should. uh, So a few other things about this early, like, uh, Claudio Sanchez center is uh, not only is he working at this pet store where he can just zone out and, uh, you know, clean fish tanks and then just fuck off to do gigs. But. He's also, uh, on his lunch breaks, he talks about, uh, there's an incredibly eye-opening interview with Kerrang! Magazine that you can find on YouTube where he really gets into those early influences and just kind of how it all came together. But on his lunch breaks, he would go to the local comic book shop and at this, like, early 90s um, uh, era, or not early, at this, like, m- late 90s era, we're still in what a lot of people would consider the Dark Age. This is still where, like... Venom and Spawn and, you know, Youngblood. And it, it, this is the Liefeld, McFarlane yeah. My uh, era. Jam.
4: My years. But Absolutely. it's also
0: giving way to the Brian Michael Bendis, like, high-minded, like, you know, the comics aren't just for kids anymore. There's lots of, like, uh, indie comics, uh, you know, stuff like 100 Bullets. Like, every, you know, there's, there's this mature energy and a lot of, like, creative, I don't know, uh, vibes happening in the world of comics. So, like of course the Amory Wars is going to be violent and fucked up and the lead character is going to have knives that come out of his arms and then another arm that turns into a gun and his, <laughs> you know, and not only that, but where they these early bands are kind of playing, uh, you know, the uh, Coe and Cambria is, they're considered to be based out of Nyack, New York, where uh, it's kind of like North of this, of New York city. It's like, it's the way New York is built, like anything, Past uh, Yonkers is upstate New York, even though the state goes on for another 200 miles to Canada. But uh, Nyack is not in the city. And it's not like uh, it's kind of stuck in the middle. So they're playing gigs both upstate in places like Woodstock, where prog rock kind of hippy dippy jam bands kind of freeform stuff is happening. And they have to play up there. And they're going to the city and going to Jersey where like hardcore music is still very much alive. Punk is very much alive. And they're kind of taking all of these disparate influences along with Claudio's own kind of uh, teenage love of classic rock and early metal. And so all of these things. So, uh, you know, gritty comic books, uh, you know, 90s dark heroes, uh, hippie music, punk music. It's all just like festering in his brain while he's just completely dissociating, uh, you know, cleaning out kitty litter.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and so, I, and I feel like, I don't know, any teenage kid who Please, smoked a little fish bit too litter, much. litter,
4: Jake. He worked in the fish department. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, just
0: individually picking out tiny turds <laughs> from the gravel. <laughs> it's unnecessary, Claudio. You don't have to do that. It's it, Any young person that smoked a little bit too much weed and is and is consuming all this culture that is sending, you know, burning a hole in his soul. Like I have tons of notebooks filled with like weird mythologies and graphic novel ideas and like weird kind of uh, just Bibles for these universes that I never committed myself to actually putting out there. I never actually took the step to make it real and so many people also, like, you know, actually take that step and try and do it, but it's that, like, collaboration with a band, it's that, like, actual dedication to executing on it and being on the, at the right time, at the right place, to have an audience that is willing to receive it that I really think, like, made Coheed and Cambria, like, and is you know, it was, they were there at the right place at the right time, and everything they've produced since then I feel like, can all be traced to this one perfect seed of inspiration. So, going back to when they were
4: shibouty, uh bassist John Carleo leaves the band in 1996 and is replaced with Michael Todd, who up to that time had mainly played guitar, picking up bass to fill the spot. In 1999, they, and by the way, Michael Todd, yeah, he, he t- t- I just said that, but yeah, totally just picked up the bass for this band. In 1999, they released their first studio demo and the Penelope EP. After that, uh, Travis Stever then joins the band and Josh Eppard replaces Nate Kelly on drums. Are, are your eyes going cross? Because mine were doing this research. It's almost as complicated as the lore of the fucking <laughs> Amory Wars. Um, but either way, around this time, bands coming and going, things like that. They're really focused on Shibuti. But Claudio Sanchez decides to go, I believe it was to go meet up with a girlfriend of his um, back in 1999 takes a trip to Paris, and there he begins to write a story he'd already been working on, obviously, from at the pet store, getting inspiration for names of characters and stuff like that, but still really starts to sit down and put it all down uh, in Paris. Uh, And it was originally called the Bag Online Adventures of Coheed and Cambria. The Bag Online was the name of a shop, I believe a bag store, um, that uh, was across the street from where he was staying. And uh, in it, two characters named Coheed and Cambria Kilganon live in a fictional foreign galaxy known as Heaven's Fence.
0: We'll get more into that in a second, but either way, the original concept was... Again, just to prove how much of a 90s kid he is, heaven's fence, of course, heaven's gate, like, it all kind of, like, comes together. Totally,
4: totally. The original concept was generally about his girlfriend and himself traveling to a new foreign place, but it expanded outward, and these characters began to resemble his parents, as opposed to him and his lady. Sanchez said, even though the bags had nothing to do with the story, there was just something about the shop that made sense to me. I loosely based the characters of Coheed and Cambria after myself and my significant other at the moment, but as I started to really write songs and flesh out the ideas of the story, Coheed and Cambria really started to take on the likeness of my mother and father, and it really became like a science fiction story about my family. That's where all the little details from life started to spill into it, like the pet store stuff, the Amory Wars. Amory is actually the road I lived on. And 78 planets that make up Heaven's Fence. By the way, Heaven's Fence uh, uh, consists of 78 planets that are all pulled together by this spirit energy. And we'll get it uh, called the key work, which we'll get into in a little bit. And 78 planets of Heaven's Fence was actually taken from the year I was born, 1978. There's a lot of symbolism in the real story that sort of resides behind the science fiction. So again, just coming back to that point of like behind every inch of this sci-fi epic is just personal stuff. And, and, and it's just all him unable as he's so shy that he can't even sing about his personal life. He's got to create entire universes in order to hide behind them and, and talk about like how breakups suck and like how like he has, you know, sometimes problems with his parents and et cetera, et cetera. But either way, um, Kobe's totally like this side thing for everybody involved. Um, they they they. Name this Coheed and Cambria, but I think it was like, this is Shibuti's side project. And then it just becomes the main project due to its popularity. Drummer Nate Kelly, uh, who is the, their Shibuti's drummer, uh, ends up walking out of a performance one night. And this is what temporarily breaks up the band. Then Josh Eppard replaces Kelly. The band reforms and they decide to rename again, this time at Coheed and Cambria. And the characters as uh, after the characters, Sanchez wrote about in Paris. Uh, So that is how we get to the second stage Turbine Blade, which is their first album, even though it is the second part of this story, which took me forever to figure out. We'll get to Black Rainbow later on in this episode. That's why it's like second stage and the next one has a three in it and the next one has the four in it. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Either way, uh, still this weird. it's like kind of hard to figure out where Shibuti ends and where Coheed and Cambria begins
0: but it's happening right around this time the loose thing i think is um they the band as Shibuti, really wants to get signed by equal vision records who were like locally known for producing like out there acts and like uh, had a very daring kind of appetite for bands that was the more interesting sell was the coheed
4: side project concept
0: yeah, Almost that, more than
4: Shabooty was with the name like Shabuti.
0: So, yeah, that by kind of <laughs> packaging themselves and packaging uh, their early EP into what would become the second stage Turbine, they got the ear of Equal Vision and got signed. And that is what kind of worked. And and the thing was, they were already as Shabouti, they
4: put out an EP called Delirium Trigger and which you might sound familiar because the Delirium Trigger is a song on. Second Stage Turbine Blade, and this EP consists of five songs, most of which are inspired by Claudio Sanchez's story and include the songs Delirium Trigger, 33, and June Song Provision, which all occur on the Second Stage Turbine Blade and are all, like, canon songs of the, of the Amory Wars story. Uh, then they decide to rename themselves. Uh, Sanchez said, When we were called Shibuti, the original idea for Code and Cambria was to be an acoustic electronic side project. Then there's the key work, which has created the official logo for the band that can be described as three circles connected by a triangle with four smaller circles in between the larger ones. The triangle represents Heaven's Gate, which is those 78 planets. Heaven's Fence. Heaven's Fence, not Heaven's Gate. That was the people who killed themselves, the Nike shoes. (laughs) <laughs> um, that consists of the 78 planets that are in the shape of a triangle, all connected by this spirit energy, essentially. That is this, uh, this—it's like the life stream, essentially, in Final Fantasy VII. We'll get to more on that later. But either way, that is called the Keywork, which is all there because of these seven stars, which are those seven globes—the three larger ones, the smaller one. I'm losing my mind. Either way, it this- could
0: also the uh, the Heaven's Fence coheat Simple could also be described as. Literally all the symbols from Led Zeppelin's Zoso record <laughs> smushed into one. Yes. Like, say, an overeager 20-something wanted his own cool logo. Yes.
4: And this album is Lexi's shit. Lexi, not to put you on the spot too much. I promise I wouldn't do that too much. But I think you know this album well enough to say, these are my jams. What songs... Do you Ooh. super love like f- from this album or or maybe some story beats or however you listen to it? Because I feel like you said you had it on the other day and you were like singing along
3: to it.
5: Yeah, uh, the second stage and in keeping secrets were so my jam. And I like listening to all of the albums sort of um, leading up to this recording. I was working, and so I'm, like, listening to my noise-canceling, you know, with my noise-canceling headphones, just cleaning the house <laughs> at uh, at work and, um, you know, just pull the trigger and the nightmare stops. And it's like, oh, this is really <laughs> not appropriate for <laughs> being around children. It's, uh, <laughs> but it, it was really wonderful to uh, kind of dive back into that. So – what was your question? I'm sorry. Hold it <laughs> Just uh, standout songs and stuff. I really standout love. Standout songs. 33. Mm-hmm. Jun Song Provision. Jun Song Provision is probably my favorite song on second stage. And because I love, I love the thing with the dog and with Nuo and that's uh-huh. just, that's just so sweet.
4: Do you want to explain that? So Nuo, Claudio is the son of Coheed and Cambrio. Yes. Cambria, which is essentially and is obviously no, no, no.
0: Claudio's the lead singer of Coheating Cambria. I don't. Know. He didn't. He wouldn't just name the main character after himself. He wouldn't, he wouldn't
4: just make it so clear that that's him in the story by naming the character the same name, would he? So
0: what he's saying
5: is that his parents <laughs> killed his twin brother and sister uh, and his other sister. No, which um, is a song
4: about, I believe, in Time Consumer. By the way, and that yeah. is actually a phrase. Me and my star—that actually just keeps going around and around in my head. I think of all for the purposes of this research, I couldn't go through and get the one-to-one on every song to every story beat. But I well, definitely that's sat down. Well, that's because you didn't go to
0: Genius.com, yes, where literally actually, every song is broken down and how it fits into the yeah, lore. I did a for little example. That, everything evil is based on the moment when uh, General Mayo. Uh, releases the hypodermic dragonflies to unleash the monster virus. Which
4: is why you have the dragonfly on the cover of the album, by the way. And I didn't pick up on that until I actually read the comics. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's why the dragonfly.
3: Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom.
1: If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit CARON.org slash lost.
2: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's.
3: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar forty nine. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
2: Ba da ba ba ba.
4: Yeah, but uh, yeah, you were saying Lexi um, uh, about June Song and uh, uh, the dog and Niwo.
5: Yes, I I just like that relationship. It just it's just really sweet and that was also wh- when I when I heard it for the first time I was like oh wait I'll be dead what well, hold on that, that it was just very exciting and you know burying the children in the floor and you know the all of this like violent kind of cryptic imagery. It was very exciting to my 20-year-old self. <laughs>
4: it is trigger warning, the lore. There is so much suicide and sexual yes. assault and so much stuff going on in these songs when you peel back the layers. Um, going back to Niwo really quick, though, you learned something about the, the name. Oh, God.
5: I Well, I mean, this was, like, many, many years ago. I learned that uh, Niwa, and is Nicky Owen, spelled backwards, and that was... They they say that that was a, a girlfriend. I but wonder if that was his
4: Paris girlfriend actually even that he was going to visit out there. Um
0: New-o is Owen backwards. I feel so dumb. <laughs> yeah. I feel so And I read the comic I tr- I tried reading the comic first so I was like, "Oh, that's Niwo." I love this character Niwo. And we should say that, that that's damsel- his
4: That's his girlfriend at the beginning of the story, but that yes. ends up not being, you know, who he ends up with right. obviously. And we'll talk about his real life wife soon too as such a big part of it what were you saying Lexi
5: well I uh, online it, it, it's like somebody said oh this is about Nikki and this is a you know an old girlfriend and somebody was just like please leave um, Exes out of this interpretation. They do not want to be associated with this (laughs) storyline. That's that's
4: such an internet person. It, It
5: was, um, it was really, uh, interesting. But, um, I love how there's just so many little pieces that, that fall from his life into the story and it's all just interwoven in so much. However, and you're saying with the, with certain songs, um, with the trigger warnings, uh, devil in Jersey city, um, mm. really upsetting, yeah. uh, sort of rape situation there. Yeah. Also uh, another rape situation with Al the killer in uh, second State. Mm-hmm. or sorry, mm. in keeping secrets. And it's just, it's like uh, how d how was I rocking out to this so hard and just not <laughs> triggered by it at that age? I just don't <laughs> understand. But in any case, that's what makes it so theatrical and,
4: right. and, and gut and and, and and edgy. Not and, fun, and, but you, you know. know.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Edgy, but, edgy, there we go.
0: Lexi, is there like a specific riff or a lyric in a second stage turbine that like really still sticks with you?
5: Um the good morning, good morning, sunshine. Awake when the sun hits the sky. <laughs> that, I, please <laughs> pardon my singing, but like, <laughs> it was it's great. at the very beginning of our, um, and not the very beginning of uh, June song provision. That's like this. I think it's the beginning of the second verse. But even when I say good morning, sunshine to the kids that I work with, or it's like I still to this day, twenty years or you know, eighteen years later, just play it through my head. Or yeah. um,
0: well tell you what yeah. Mary can you give us that chunk <laughs> <laughs> the first of many
4: so I feel like we have talked around we we, we gave you the world we've tell, told you about heaven since we told you about the key work. for anybody who is super confused we keep naming these names and things like that and I just want to Give us a basic rundown of the over overview of the plot. Like, we're not going to be able to get the, into the gritty details of this whole sogging for you guys. But for anybody confused that really wants to understand, like, what this story basically is, um, we, we mentioned the key work that holds together Heaven's Fence, the 78 Planets. Then there are three races. There's the prize, humanity, and the mages. The former of which are angelic protectors. We were talking about how Lexi's like uh, definitely a prize. Um, And the latter of which are like the rulers. The mages are like the government, essentially. Um, Tri-mage Wilhelm Ryan, at the beginning of the Amory Wars, at least, is the head ruler uh, however, after dozens of years, the fence has descended into tyranny, and a young cu- uh, young female mage named, uh, it's Mariah, right? It's Mariah? Uh Opposes, yes. opposes Ryan and gains followers, trying to lead a revolt. Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. Coheed and Cambria kill are a married couple that have four children, Matthew and Maria, which are twins, who they kill. Josephine and Claudio, who we've talked about, uh, they kill them because they are convinced that, they are um, essentially this like nightmare virus and must be taken out. And that is trickery. They're also these two Coheed and Cambria are known as IRO bots, Genetically enhanced humans and members of a defunct organization called KBI and The uh, Knowledge, the Beast, and the Inferno. is the Knowledge, Coheed's the Beast, and Inferno, the essentially talked about as brothers, but they are robots. So it's like not really that. But either way, Jesse is the Inferno or Prize Fighter Inferno. We'll talk about that later. But either way, um, uh, they were there to protect the keywork from a terrorist org- activity. They are since defunct. You learn all about the establishment of them and everything actually in Black Rainbow, which is actually technically part one of this story, but comes out later and in both album and knowledge or album and novel form. But either way, however, their creator, who has since been killed after erasing their memories, which is that story I just mentioned, installed a Monstar virus in Coheed that when only- Oh no,
0: not the viruses. Can destroy is parts- the Monstar virus or yes. the Sinstar virus? Sinstar There's is the
4: virus they convinced them the kids had in order to get them to kill them, but that ends up being like, psych, and they're just like, oops, killed your kids, and then they realize like, wait, we shouldn't kill our kids after they've already killed a couple of them, and that's why they spared the other ones, uh, or the other one with Claudio. But either way, they have this Monstar virus installed in them for reasons I will not get into here because it's just too damn much. But either way- when this virus is unleashed by dragonflies that contain this little light chemical that will unleash them, it can destroy parts or all of the key work, which Ryan, that evil mage we were talking about, uh, wishes to use against his opposers. Also, also, yeah, their kids are to have had a muti- mutated version of the virus called Sinstar. I just mentioned that. Uh, so either way, um, the name comes from the fact that Coed and Cambria are in an, an evolved form. Their second stage... They are second stage and the name second stage Turbine Blade rather comes from the fact that Coheed and Cambria are in an evolved form. They are the second stage in General Mayo Defton Wolf's plan. By the way, he is a general for that evil mage I was talking about. And, quote, blades in his turbine, which is an analogy for them being a part of a larger operation. Have I lost everybody or are
0: we uh, we, we caught up fully here? (laughs) So here's the thing. I understood what you were saying because I've spent a fucking week (laughs) trying to learn all this. Yes. And for a lot of people... You know, the idea of like, hey, this band's really good. Oh, by the way, you will need at least a week of your life to even <laughs> begin to understand them is very daunting. The comics
4: are well done, though. So, honestly, like, n- not the end of the world to go they back are, and learn. And it. They are.
0: They are. Yeah. And they're also a 20 something dude who read too many image comics in the 90s. They doing-
4: are not hard to read.
0: Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, oh my, like, literally, this, when, when, in the comics, when actual, when the characters, Coheed and Cambria, evolve into their second form, they might as well be, like, the most Liefeldian uh-huh. fucking... Like, Cambria basically just becomes Witchblade. Koheed uh, uh-huh. uh, has, like arm knives and, like, a giant cannon and a venom tongue. Yeah, he's
4: super badass, Jake. I don't really understand
0: what you're saying. I'm saying that in a critical tone. (laughs) (laughs) And it should be noted, obviously, that Claudio Sanchez is uh, from an Italian father and a Puerto Rican mother. And, uh, you know, the inspiration for having arm blades is just, you know, many Italian men do have many knives that stick out of their forearms as a display of aggression. Uh, This is common facts about the Italians. Obviously, (laughs) I'm not saying anything new here. Um so that's literally just like the first album and I cannot I will
4: be p- touching on other plot points moving forward but like I'm not going to obviously be able to get super deep into like each album's exact plot but but regardless going back to the album they get signed to Equal Vision Records uh th- that indie label out of Albany we discussed and um Albany, New York and uh, this was founded, by the way, back in the early 90s by a singer named Ray Capo. But either way, it was just to put out his own music. Um, but they they start working on this album like in a bedroom, essentially. They did end up getting Dr. No from uh, Bad Brains to guest on the album, which is a pretty cool move. And uh, yeah, the album comes out in 2002. The comic adaptation, by the way, this is another confusing thing. The comic adaptation, a first adaptation, wouldn't come out until 2004. It's called "The Bag Online Adventures." The second stage turbine blade. It's written by Claudio Sanchez and it's illustrated by a guy named Wes Abbott, who's mostly known uh, who's mostly known as a letterer at the time. Um, they they uh, they start touring. So only two issues of this comic is published
0: before it's discontinued. It's so, a really small print run too. You yeah. basically could only buy it at like their merch table on the Warp tour. Yeah. It, it's,
5: it's Which I did. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, what? Do you yeah. still
0: have it? It's probably worth money.
5: I don't. No. I know. I Let's know. See. I moved too many times.
4: <laughs> so they toured quite a lot in 2002 and into 2003 via the Vans Warped Tour. Of course, they did Warp Tour a bunch. And- they also toured with groups like Linkin Park, The Used, and Slipknot. I want to do an episode on Slipknot, Jake,
0: by the uh, way. I, I was listening to a podcast called uh, Your Favorite Band Sucks. Uh, they had a I lot to podcast. say about Coed and Cabria. <laughs> but uh, one of the hosts mentions that he saw them open for Slipknot. And, um, uh, you know, it's very hard for them to, like, it's just... They had a rough go of it before yeah. they found before they were a headlining band because they're a little too high pitched and high concept for yes. a metal show, and they're a little like too metal for an emo show and like uh once they were signed to a major label, they were put on all these festivals and tours where uh things like um they were put on to fill in for fifty cent who was late to a festival. Oh god. And the crowd started whipping quarters at them. I mean, sure. And
4: oh. and I think I think that's the first thing that may what I would say is like slightly inaccessible or or I think the first hurdle people would get over is he does have a very like high-pitched emotional voice and the music's very like duh, 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 you know what I mean? Like the music's very like and like you said, at times metal esque and things like that, and yet you do have this like very, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And um, I got the used to times
0: it. We were high, man, hey. now it.
4: Now it doesn't stand out as much, but I yeah, like you say, do you like it because it's in your range, so you can sing along it. with it.
5: Well, I can't, but you know, it, <laughs> I think I can. I pretend well, to.
4: I do also love that this story is also a lot about a real life, like really awesome husband and wife team. And I have Lexi on for this episode. So let's talk about Chandra. Uh, Chandra is, this is around the time where Chandra comes into the picture. They meet backstage at probably a Warped Tour show. It's what it sounds like. And that's where they end up striking up a conversation. She had no idea he was even in a band, much less like who Coheed and Cambria was. Uh, he's super shy. Of course, she ends up like t- making all the moves. She ends up asking him for his number because um, he is just so standoffish. She she said too that she had to kind of get, get him a couple drinks in him so that he would loosen up enough to just like have a, have a nice chat with her. They end up being on and off in the early stages of their relationship, and you, this is absolutely reflected in some of the storylines in these early albums. Like people even talk about how uh, good Apollo. Um, Let me give the whole name. Good Apollo. I'm burning star four from fear through the eyes of madness. Um, A lot of songs on that are actually tragically about like when they were having tougher times. But either way, um, she initially was working as an advertising copywriter and later managed to get into the comics industry with Kill Audio which was created and co-written by Claudio Sanchez and herself and Image Comics picks it up. It follows a troll's quest to understand his own immortality.
0: It should be noted that the main character, Kill Audio, looks exactly like Claudio. Um, (laughs) It has a very fun indie cartoon style. I remember seeing ads for it everywhere when I was super into indie comics in the 2000s. But I will say yet another jaw drop. I can't believe I didn't see that. Kill audio. Kill audio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
4: I literally actually feel like such a fucking moron. I'm just figuring this out on the spot, on this recording. Ignore this, people.
0: It should also be noted that uh, Chandra uh, was born in Clearwater, Florida. Oh,
4: that's fun. I should probably say Chandra, not Chandra, shouldn't I? Either way, Chandra had this to say. We've decided to jump into this creative lifestyle together. We embrace what's not ordinary. We both write together and I travel with him while he's on tour. Living on a bus with 12 people, it's easy to feel like you're getting too much of each other. But that never happens to us. Claudia said, "She's the only person for me. She's the gravity to our family, the black hole that our galaxy revolves around. Everything I do is for her." We have a unity and an energy that's unexplainable. We pass that down to our son. We'll talk about that later because they did make a whole. He makes a whole album that's largely about his son. Also, Lex, I've called you a black hole in the past, but you didn't appreciate it. So mm-hmm. I just feel like maybe in the future you could be nicer when I call you a black hole.
5: I mean, I was probably tuning you out like I usually do. <laughs> so.
4: <laughs> uh, but either way together, they ended up establishing evil ink comics in 2005 as both a way to publish the Amory Wars comics while also putting out Chandra's work, such as their contemporary zombie comic key of Z, uh, which is another, uh, I think that's all her. That's just solo Chandra.
0: So, uh, a magical thing happens, uh, off the kind of buzz of second stage turbine blade. Uh, which kind of uplifts the band from pet shop obscurity? Uh, they get signed, co-signed by uh, Columbia Records, which is a major label. And this, this is this is just for thirty-something nerds. The uh, head of development for Columbia at the time who signed them on was none other than MTV VJ and uh, all-around hero to Chunky Bald Man Matt Pinfield. Hey guys, be Matt Pinfield. We got another <laughs> thing coming Field. up, on... You uh, got Green Day coming up, and after that, we got The Offspring. <laughs> yeah, it's Matt Pinfield. How you doing? I'm the only man with 30 percent body fat on
4: MTV. The <laughs> main of MTV VJs, uh, but also they start working with a manager that helped them out a lot. That has the most manager ass name I've ever heard before. I hooked up with Tabitha Soren
0: <laughs> once, just once. She said it was a one time thing, and I respected me, Matt Pinfield. How's it going? The manager's
4: name is Blaze James. Of course, you got to get a guy. I bet he has a lot of like leather suit coats. Blaze James. But either way, um, then they put out in Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3, Lexi's other big jam. Uh, it tells the second chapter of the Amory Wars, which takes place 10 years after the events of Second Stage Turbine Blade. It centers around Coheed and Cambria's son, Claudio, who essentially becomes the main protagonist from here on until like the end of Arm- Amory Wars proper, even though we will see other protagonists in the lore as a whole. Uh, but, but either way uh, Claudio he's on a quest for revenge against his family's killers he joins up with a prize named Ambolina which Lexi talked about how she feels like you 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 went under the name Ambolina in like correspondences oh, with your friends this is right
5: so silly yes just <laughs> uh, <laughs> we would just write each other um you know emails or letters or whatever and you know it, between uh uh Claudio and Ambolina and that was before um I knew much about the character even. So oh, wow. I was just like, Oh, and then she, you know, then they kill her. So
0: <laughs> <Maybe I laughs> Spoiler alert, that, but yeah, absolutely. But. So Spoiler. it kind of, uh, so amb- within the lore of the comic, Claudio is the last surviving son of Coheed and Cambria. The, uh, you know, the loose end, the prophesized, uh, son of the three who was supposed to finally take down, uh, the evil tri-mage Ryan. And he's, uh, he's refusing the call. You know, this is Luke Skywalker. This is, uh, you know, Odysseus. This is the classic, like, I'd never asked for this responsibility. And then a actual hot chick from space is sent (laughs) to him to guard him and be like, no, you got to believe in yourself. You got to be strong. Also, check out my rock and latex bodysuit and cool <laughs> damaged wings.
4: Yeah, she definitely has the most image, comics-y <laughs> kind of physique and, and outfit for sure. For In terms of a lady, at least.
0: And it becomes very clear from the ensuing lore and events that Ambolina has become uh, Chandra's avatar within the story. Where it was, previous, you know, Claudio's previous girlfriend in the lore was Niwa, mm-hmm. Nuo. But like now and but she kind of gets by the wayside and Ambolina kind of takes over (laughs) as the like love interest or Mm -hmm. at least will they won't they Mm -hmm. all sorts of other characters are introduced. But uh, at this point in um, A Favor House Atlantic. Yeah, we have Claudio refusing, refusing the adventure, not accepting that he is the chosen one. And other more every single adventure trope, hero's journey trope you can think of, and Inferno is a big part of this
4: album and story as well. Jesse, he's you know they he, they're looking to him to get answers about the family and the killers and you know the exposition and all that good stuff. And meanwhile, he's a
0: combination Han Solo, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi figure. Totally, he's like the badass, the 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 gruff, but also like the keeper of the past and the wise sage and. Uh, you know, the drunken fist fighter, everything. The, it's just the, the, the galaxy's coolest uncle.
4: Yeah. Uh, and, and meanwhile, there's a ship called camper Valorium and it's pilot AI, the killer have different plans in mind for this crew. Um, And it goes on from there, but either way, the comic that tells the story of the album doesn't get a released until 2010. Uh, I believe what it was probably 2009 or eight when uh, the second stage turbine blade came out years later. To actually really tell the story up until then, it's just total speculation. Their singles, A Favorite House Atlantic and Blood Red Summer, were actually uh, decently big for them. And they did get airtime on MTV as music videos. They also end up touring even harder on this album with groups that Lexi actually mentioned earlier Thursday AFI. And um, they get their second appearance on the Warp Tour. They're really starting to pick up steam at this point. They released their first concert DVD in 2004 that they did at New Jersey's Starland Ballroom. Uh, and they are about to get to their biggest breakout. Uh, Sanchez said, Over the couple of years, this, this story has taken a plot out. The idea of free will has continuously been a major theme that we discussed to death. There are obviously major parallels in our own world. Concepts of religion and God's predetermined divine plan versus the idea of making your own path via choice. In other words, um, at this stage, Claudio gets all Vonnegut on your ass, Mm. big Vonnegut nerd. We were actually watching a concert of his at our study session um, last Sunday, and he definitely has a Kurt Vonnegut tattoo on his arm. This is, once we get to Good Apollo. Everything was
0: beautiful and nothing hurt. Yes,
4: on the gravestone. Once we get to Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star, Volume 1. He is full on doing the meta thing. He writes essentially himself in as the writer, I guess you could say. No, he already wrote himself in as Claudio. He's already Claudio, but then there's the writer character, which serves as the creator, (laughs) who's, uh, you know what, I'll leave this up to Jake to describe (laughs) I can't. so, and it gets so crazy.
0: One dumb fact I wanted to throw out before we throw away uh, Silent Earth is uh, there's in the song A Favor House Atlantic, which is a genuine bop, yeah, just uh, by one the of way. their first big singles. Solid. Uh, actually, you know what, Mary, if you could play a little bit of A Favor House Atlantic right now. that's tasty (laughs) the line good eye sniper now i shoot you run in the lore is supposed to be like this big showdown between i think mariah and general mayo uh during one of the many many grand space confrontations that happen in these in these albums but uh in of all places an episode of the youtube let's play channel game grumps claudio sanchez actually says that the lyric was inspired by uh When their tour manager was looking for a Walmart for them to like rest up at, because obviously if anyone with camping experience knows Walmarts are like one of the few safe spaces where you're allowed to park and sleep overnight. Uh, Claudio spotted it miles away and the manager just yelled, good eye, sniper. (laughs) And all that is told while playing uh, Star Wars Battlefront. (laughs) Nice.
4: I love it. Now explain to everybody the plot of Good Apollo and Burning Star
0: 4 Volume 1. All right. First thing you got to know, <laughs> Apollo is a dog. Apollo is a good dog. He's a good, good dog boy. <laughs> so at some point during their courtship, the touring uh, requirements of Claudio uh, means that he's not around to for Chandra and the two have a breakup of some kind. In the album, it is heavily implied that somebody cheated, but it's clearly hurting him. And so the entire, like, the entire th- thread of the Amory Wars um, plot kind of gets overtaken by uh, the character of the writer, the creator of this universe, who is omnipotent and is now like feeling his own life blur into the story, which is already 1800 different levels of, you know, Alan, Alan Moore, Grant Morrison. It is almost a it is almost a a, a, it is a trope of postmodern comics where at the end of their rope, the writer's just like, fuck it. I'm just going to show up, me the writer, and just tell people what to do. Uh, it should be noted that uh, the two songs that I'm most familiar with, uh, Welcome Home and The Suffering, are both just about this breakup. It yeah. is, there's no space stuff. There's no, like, uh, you know, uh, in, the, the the Inferno, the Prize, all these things. Barely come up um, And I think that it's about Like issues he's having With
4: Chandra During this time this I mean This is during their On again off again phase Before they settle in And get And become incredibly Devoted to each other And seem to have A wonderful relationship But uh,
0: The And Welcome Home Which is Just I can Okay uh, Mary if you can just Play a little bit Of Welcome Home Right now Can we admit it's just a sped up version of Kashmir? Can we do this? Are we allowed to <laughs> say there's a to ton it? of
4: Led Zeppelin influence in here?
0: And Da-na-na. This Da-na-na. is also this is Da-na. also
4: the most I think prog rock defined sound of
2: of their oh and they leaned rock. into it. The yeah. video
0: for the Suffering is full of like centaurs and yeah. scorpions and crystals and all this. Yeah, shit. Yeah, it's 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 the most
4: progressive rock. I mean, because I, I do feel like their sound is a blend. It's never quite any one thing, but definitely like they they just go for it here. But you still have notes of pop punk. You still have notes of, um, you know, other other sounds, even a little bit of psychedelic, even though that's that's going to come more into play in Black Rainbow, uh, appropriately titled. But either way, they're using all these different types of instrumentalists. They have a didgeridoo player on the on one of the tracks. They've got ukulele players on on here. You've got just a very symphonic grandiosity happening. There's like a whole intro track that's just very symphonic.
0: There's also a talking bicycle.
4: Yes. The, the writer has this, has a conversation with like a demonic talking 10 speed bike about his issues with, um, Ambolina.
0: (laughs) So within the, so yeah, the, one of the core big confrontations is the writer, uh, through the device known. What is it? The wishing well, I keep forgetting. Oh, Lexi, am I right?
5: Willingwell. Well, well it would
0: know Willingwell. Okay, it's the Willingwell. Yeah. Uh literally shows up and after having a conversation with his demonic possessed bicycle uh says that the only way he can be free of the pain of uh having gotten broken up with by Erica, the fake girlfriend who's not Chandra, who's also not Nuo, who is also not Ambelina, is that he has to kill Ambelina, reach closure and then take control of his own story as Claudio rebels against the writer himself. So there's all this meta stuff happening. What
3: did you just
4: say? This is what I got. I lost my mind. Yeah, uh, Sanchez did say, the writer is inspired by creators who are at risk of becoming hostages of their own minds. Think Jack Nicholson in The Shining with the dash of Vonnegut thrown in. So the
0: suffering is about, uh, you know, listen well, will you marry Me. me? Not now is about the writer in a moment of desperation, wanting uh, to keep their relationship together, just blurting out like, oh, uh, let's get married. That'll, that'll fix it. Also,
4: uh, you know, Claudio ends up meeting the writer himself and he ends up becoming the prequel to The Crowning 3, which of course was covered in Shit's Creek. Uh, he becomes <laughs> The crowing And, uh, That is uh, fantastic. I love that the worlds intertwine like that. Uh, It's absolutely wonderful. Um, Uh,
0: Welcome home involves a really intense description of the writer killing and burying his girlfriend alive.
4: Yes. Which, of course, Uh, is not in that order. It's like, hey, Chandra, look what I just made for us, Uh, which is (laughs) a lot of fun. And, you know, somebody asked them in an interview and asked Chandra, like, hey, Well, you know, because they went when they went back and they wrote the comic together. I mean, she was like his co-writer. Like, I mean, she is like the unsung hero of all of this stuff. And they were asked like, was it hard to go back to this stuff that really spoke towards like a lot of turmoil in your relationship? And she was like, no, I mean, I, you know, it's actually a lot of fun to revisit it in in this world and and retell it in this way. And they just seem like they really worked everything out eventually and they don't get married until 2009. So, you know, I mean, this came out in 2005. I mean, they really nailed it all down. And I think Lexi made uh, her wait a proper amount of time. And I know Lexi will always be mad at me for making her wait as long as I did to propose. But I think, look at Coheed, look at Cambria, look at Claudio and Ambolina,
5: Chandra. <laughs> <laughs> no, got to get it right. Hold it.
1: Hey mom.
4: Um, Sorry, uh, but either way, going back to this, uh, it's so much stuff, man. And like I, it's it's very rewarding, I think, to dig in and really get into it. And also musically, there's callbacks. There's there's callbacks in this album to the song The Telling Truth at around the 446 mark. There's um, or in the song The Telling Truth at around the 446 mark, there's a reprise of the song Blood Red Summer from In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. Uh, uh, all sorts of little details like that's again for nerdy ass fans to pour over and just super dig into and i think that's so so cool and also uh, the more you can tie each album together is so smart to do but people really look at this musically as their high point thematically everything just comes together and is so layered and so intricate that's why people come to this album as like the number one coheat album. I think there's other standout songs and other albums that I like more. There's actually other albums I personally like more, and in, in terms of sound overall. But this is like such a ma- such a clear masterpiece and such a clear high point in, in their work. And the cool thing is, this comes out in 2005. They do not really falter. I mean, they continue to put out albums after this that are consistent, that are continuing the lore, that are brilliant in their own right. So it's just kind of amazing that they. It's it's only their third album. They hit this this point, but they continue to just be both prolific and um, solid. Uh, Either way, uh, this is actually to the first time that the comic book and the album release at the same time which I think also helped propel this is illustrated by Christopher Shy. It's known for uh, who is known for his dark, moody, photorealistic art. He has illustrated uh, horror works such as Soul Stealer by Michael Easton, as well as video games like the God of War Ascension comics. The graphic novel, though, this is released as a graphic novel, just a singular thing. This is not actually the thing you'll end up wanting to read. Probably you're going to want to read the uh, the The remake that is in line with the Amory Wars um, that it comes out actually years and years later, but either way
5: that released before the uh, comic was released that coincided with (laughs) in keeping secrets.
4: Yeah, so so it's very convoluted and there's a lot of false starts for the comics but either way they at least did have a graphic novel like here check it out like you can actually read the story for the first time while listening to the album and and uh but but again not the comic you'll probably end up reading if you want to read about the Amory Wars that's its own series that re- is released later
0: wait but which one had art by Rags Morales who is like an accomplice? is like a huge get to have on your your band feel uh, like
4: that's going to be the remake but i could be wrong i'd have to to... To go dig in my notes At some
0: point Tony Moore of Walking Dead fame Does a lot of covers For the comics Oh no that's for Second Stage Turbine Forget it Forget I said anything (laughs) I I have a holistic Understanding of this topic (laughs) How dare you accuse me Of having a muddled Almost uh,
1: gibberish (laughs) Understanding of this comic
4: We are going to be Picked apart By by (laughs) wild dogs At least upon us For getting all this stuff Wrong too
0: The uh, page We have a donor uh, Discord Where we do obviously Our weekly Sunday study Streams go to patreon.com/slash if you want to be a part of that. Uh and I just I know I know the names and faces of the people I'm actively disappointing right now. <laughs> but either
4: way, uh this is their most commercially successful album. To date, it, they sell uh, they sold almost a million copies. It peaks at the Billboard charts at number seven. This is also the last album to feature Josh Eppard as drummer. His he is replaced by Chris Penny, who is the co-founder of the Dillinger Escape Plan. Michael Todd also sadly leaves for a bit uh, due to a struggle with heroin addiction, which lands him in rehab. This is just temporary. He ends up rejoining the band for a time, but then it's an even sadder end for him. We'll get there. Either way, there were two big boosts for the band with the song Welcome Home off of this album, because if you might remember, it is included in the video game rock band. As well as the uh, in the trailer for the animated movie Nine, and these two instances take, actually draw bring a lot of people to their music and made created a little bit more of a mainstream avenue for them. Uh, okay, real quick, I want to talk about the Prize Fighter Inferno because it is part of the whole world. Sanchez puts out a, a side project album called "The Prize Fighter Inferno," which is about uh, Jesse, who is nicknamed the Inferno, who is also a boxer. Um, it's called "My
0: Brother's Blood Machine," and he literally fights surviving members of the prize. Yes, and and also this is him t- get it prize fighter. Yeah. Ah, ah, yes.
4: yes. God, oh, okay. I didn't even realize that. But either way, he um he it's actually. The phrase My Brother's Blood Machine is actually used on the album in Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. And the stories connect, quote, but not in the most obvious way, according to Sanchez. And actually, it's Jesse telling, uh, essentially essentially spinning a yarn. The story is a prequel to the Ar- Amory Wars, and it centers around three families. The Bleem family, who are like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre-esque group. The McLeod family, and the prota- uh, who has the protagonist, Cecilia, under their banner. And the early family, who has uh, her love interest, Johnny, under their banner. And um, there's a lot of subplots, but essentially Cecilia runs away from her abusive family, uh, tries to convince Johnny to go. He decides not to go. She runs into the forest and meets the Bleem family, whose blood machine was created to tear a body to shreds to release their soul. And um, it was recorded over seven years using, quote, random recording devices. And it's nice. It's like it's like chill beats to study and relax to by Coheed and Cambria. It's very like lo-fi. It's really cool. It's short. It's it's interesting and it just kind of tells this whole side shoot story that's not super necessary in terms of the main you know the Amory Wars like overall uh, story, but it's very interesting in its own right and very well well done in my opinion. But either way, the Amory Wars finally wraps up with No World for Tomorrow, their fourth studio album. It concludes the Amory Wars. It is part two of Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4. And they announced a tour back in February 2020, which looks to have been pushed back to 2021. But during that tour, they were supposed to have played No World for Tomorrow in its entirety and put a comic book out at the end, finally, to tell that story. So right now... The story is not concluded in comic book form and is only left up to speculation of listeners, which I think is really cool. And I hope that the pandemic at least um, forces them to actually sit down and mainline that comic book. And so hopefully we'll even get that before their their tour in 2021. And who knows, Lexi, maybe you and I will get to go see Coheed and Cambria if they come Yay! to a town near us. Uh, but either way, I think it's kind of fascinating that no comic exists. <sighs> the okay.
5: speculation is the most fun. You know, yeah. that's the best that's the best aspect of this property.
4: <laughs> For the purposes of my research, I am thrilled that the comics exist because I don't know what I would do without the <laughs> comics in terms of explaining this whole story. Uh, all right. We've made it to Year of the Black Rainbow, um, Jake. We, we've we gotten to the album and the book. Yes, they put out a novel to go along with their fifth album, Year of the Black Rainbow, which is technically, from what I've seen, even though it's stated in different ways from my different findings, is actually part one of the Amory Wars.
0: It is a prequel that deals with the adventures and origins of the characters, Coheed and Cambria, and the various, you know, how they discover the the rotting corruption at the center of the Heaven's Fence uh, collective. And... Wilhelm the tri-mage Wilhelm Ryan's ascension as he takes out the other mages it's when he in becomes quest
4: for God he's not the tri-mage at the beginning of this story actually the being the tri-mage is essentially like a godlike character you're almost taking over the duties of God in a lot of ways and can you'd be terrible and evil with those powers. Um, Sanchez said, when I created the idea of the Amory Wars uh, and the first recording being the second stage turbine blade, and that being the second part of the story, I always knew at the end I would revisit the beginning. I think for those fans that are truly invested in the concept, it's really a necessity. I don't know if it was necessary to make prequels for star Wars, But this is where Cody and Cabria came from the origins of who they are and that it does make sense because I feel like when you even read the Amory Wars second stage comic books, you're like you feel like you're thrust into the middle of a story for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, it was produced by Atticus Ross, who has worked with Nine Inch Nails and Jane's Addiction, and Joe Baresi, who produced for Queens of the Stone Age and Tools. There's a couple of rad-ass producers. Sanchez said, They have helped us evolve our sound to be more powerful and dynamic than ever, and we think it's definitely our best work to date. And that, quote, musically, there's a very cinematic tone. There's a lot of atmosphere on this record, and that's something I've always wanted to incorporate on the other records, but just never could attain it as we have on this one. And it definitely goes into a psychedelic rock direction, unlike their previous works. Um, and it's also technically the first album Chris Penny from Dillinger Escape Plan actually got to play on. Contract obligations kept him off of the last uh, couple albums, even though the other drummer had left. Um, the other thing I'll say, I, I meant to say... I think my favorite album is No World for Tomorrow in terms of overall sound. I think there are better standout songs on other albums, but I really, really liked No World for Tomorrow in terms of like binging all of these albums. Year of the Black Rainbow, though, is absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't think there's a bad album in the bunch, actually.
0: Uh, I think they're all solid, but they um, all get you to that Coheed zone. Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah, yes. Yes. The the Year of the Black Rainbow didn't have a comic attached, but it did have a 400 page novel co-written by, uh, if you remember this name from our Incredible Hulk episode, Peter David, who is one of these legendary comic book writers of the 90s. So obviously it must have been a dream come true for uh, comic book nerd Claudio Sanchez to write with him.
4: Yeah, we covered him extensively in the Hulk episode he had and we've talked about him in other episodes too. He had a major impact on the franchise with his 12-year run in the 80s that introduced the cerebral Grey Hulk, delved deeper into his multiple personality disorder and established Hulk as a journeyman hero. Uh and uh yeah, he he is a huge part of this. Also this book got a very limited release and it is something like $200. <laughs> uh, at this point, uh, because it's very hard to find, but you can definitely get it on like ebook or whatever, so no worries there in terms of actually finding it. I'm sure you can find a PDF of it
0: because people steal stuff online. Like Jake, Jake steals a lot of stuff. How c- I wouldn't steal a car. <laughs> <laughs> I saw.
4: I've I've seen you play Grand Theft Auto. Please. All right. Now we get to Afterman. So you know how you're the Black Rainbow, Jake, and Lexi happened like before. Everything else. Well, the Afterman happened like before, 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 before everything else.
0: Afterman is almost a side story. It like takes place within the universe, but um, it's this is where a lot of uh, a lot of fans now who call themselves Coheed fans point to as like it's good their favorite album it's cool. because it, it's a it's cool. There's some amazing songs in there, and um, one of the things is. You know, this case, this is now we're at 2012 where they're hitting uh, after the Afterman colon Ascension. And this was, uh, you know, this is the the same kids that grew up now have kids of their own. They now, you know, are feeling wistful about the past. And here is Coed and Cambria delivering on those old time feelings mm-hmm. to the point where, like, even the story of uh, the Afterman saga Kind of mirrors um, a Good Apollo in that, like the end result is a man killing his wife and feeling bad about it.
4: You know, and it, it largely deals in death. Uh, yeah, this is following Cyrus Amory, uh, Amory rather, jeez, Cyrus Amory, the namesake of the Amory Wars, who explores the energy source holding together the keywork finding out that it is actually an afterlife for departed souls, which is why I called it essentially like the live stream in Final Fantasy seven uh, Sanchez said the title track was written a little over two years ago in Florida. Chandra and I were coming back from a long day lounging on a boat uh, without cell reception when she decided to hop on Facebook in that moment. She had discovered a very close friend had just passed away. I remember the cold and personal blue glare glowing against her face, the emotions and tears released in an instant. It was unlike anything I'd ever witnessed. Her questions started peddling between reality and disbelief, but her emotions were too strong to know what to believe. I started to feel like this was the closest thing to her experiencing my death. It set the tone of loss for this album. And this album largely is this guy going into this, like, essentially like the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey, like going into this sort of psychedelic sci-fi zone where he gets he's living through the lives of other people who have died and so it's also just a great way for claudio to tell side stories to tell little short little short tales about these different characters um like hollywood the cracked and uh which actually delves into i think probably what he's dealt with with fame and with you know people obsessed people and things like that but I think it's really cool how he kind of breaks it down into these smaller stories.
0: Another song story is the key entity extraction one, Domino the Destitute. Which is an eight minute kind of operatic story of a uh, boxer who becomes alienated from his family after he is drawn in by a crime family to start uh, taking rigged matches and the descent that comes from there and like the heartbreak of watching someone slow decline. It's been Extremely hypothesized that it's based on, uh, as we talked about, bassist Mike Todd struggles with heroin. So yeah,
4: I I hadn't talked about that yet, but while touring in 2011 with Soundgarden, Michael Todd was arrested after reportedly robbing a Walgreens pharmacy in Attleboro, Massachusetts, and this leads to an agreement for him to permanently exit the band. He is later replaced by Zach Cooper from the band AM to AM. But yeah, it is, and also
0: doesn't um. Claudius, didn't his parents struggle with addiction as well? His uh, father, I believe, also struggled with opioid addiction. Uh, heroin, in the case of his father, Mike Todd, I think it was an Oxycontin thing that made him do that at the pharmacy. Like, um, and the and, you know, the the dragonfly symbol in of itself with the uh, stinger with the long tail and the stinger and the wingspan, it very much mimics the profile of a heroin syringe. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the idea that, you know, there's this nefarious thing that can get you and cause you to mutate and devolve um, is very much tied into the iconography of the band. And, uh, you know, Claudio talks about, you know, he's on tour with his wife. He uh, says he miss you know, he Mm -hmm. goes to sleep at seven and wakes up at 3 a.m. Like, He knows the perils of the rock and roll lifestyle and like kind of actively positions himself to, uh, you know, stay safe and avoid it. Well,
4: and the whole idea of this guy, you know, a lot of the story is about how eventually this guy comes to regret his long journey outward because he feels that it has destroyed the life of his wife at home. And I think a lot of that is him working out his feelings about being gone so much on tour and away from his wife, even though she does say in certain interviews that she would go with him at the others. At the same time, she's also spoken about those long stretches where she's stuck at home and he's out doing this stuff. And I think a lot of this is about a guy uh, is about a guy on tour and, and what that does to families.
0: The uh, two albums uh, two 2012's The Afterman Ascension and 2013's The Afterman Descension. Yeah,
4: packaged essentially as a double album, by the way, but it's they just released it like a few months apart.
0: Uh, the two main things is Amory's journey into the keywork and being inhabited by all these different souls. And as they compete and push each other out of his body to like somehow get a way out, he uncovers like a military conspiracy with, um, you know, through these different souls. My favorite, my favorite Kohit song in the of everything we've talked about, uh, Mary, obviously I'm going to make you uh, play a clip. Is uh, Cantity Extraction 5 Century the Defiant, which just is really accessible and you know, a great chorus. Like, just I am a lion, don't Mary, just play the thing, don't make me (laughs) sing. And then the uh, horror and betrayal as Amory comes back and discovers that his wife had uh, a horrifying kind of encounter with a uh, date rapist and was rescued by a police officer who she then marries. And then obviously he is so shocked by this that he crashes a car with his wife and child inside it and they die. <laughs> um So it's yeah, it's his still these lingering feelings of like loss and uh, fear and inadequacy of loving someone, but being away from them all the time, mixed with all these sci fi kind of concepts and space wars and all these things going on. So, yeah, it's 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 perfect. I was going to say heroin, but that's a terrible (laughs) analogy for considering what we just talked about. Uh, This is cocaine. Nice, safe cocaine. For those 2002 fans, Cocaine that Heed, liked- and Cambria, yeah, that's, <laughs> yes. that's
4: when they changed their name to that.
0: Yeah, if you haven't listened to Af- to the Afterman saga, it's awesome. It's real good. It's, it's probably besides
4: a good Apollo Part One, it's probably their most impressive conceptual work. I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. I throw that. out uh, there. Yeah,
4: yeah, for sure. Like, which is what's so cool about it. Like, you can go to some albums and be like, man, this is just such a great package. You can go to other albums and be like, man, the three songs on this that I love are so iconic. And you can go to other ones and be like, man, this is just a great rock album, uh, you know? So they just have, like we said, so many things for so many different people. But this is when we get to their first non-lore Amory Wars related work with The Color Before the Sun. I feel like, Lexi, you you really appreciated this one. we were listening to the last song, Peace to the Mountain, and you just stopped and were like, this is beautiful.
5: Yeah, it is. It's really, uh, it's so pretty and it captures... That emotion of the time that he was, you know, the time in his life of uh, becoming a father, and I, I feel like it was, it's just so soft, so lovely, and so hopeful, and yeah.
4: Hell yeah, I, I, uh, I love this album, and uh, I think it's really, really fantastic. The band. Um, this is back in 2015. I don't
0: like the lack of Constantine priests, the <laughs> mutated mages that become horrifying killing machines with an insatiable thirst for blood. <laughs> How refreshing. Most of the songs only have a one or two
4: word title. Uh, <laughs> but it, And it's largely about... Yeah, These
0: song titles need at least three more colons before I can take them seriously.
4: <laughs> it's about his son mostly. It's about also them moving from a country home into Brooklyn's Park Slope neighborhood. And he, you know, had a lot of more constraints during that time. It seems apparently that he was there because he was working on a musical adaptation of an unnamed Victorian novel. And apparently also he was putting all of his like Prague goosh into that project. And that's why this album is like way less like Prague style. Uh, You know, you have way less of that going on because it was it was all putting that into this musical project. But Sanchez said. I created the Amory Wars in 1988 to basically utilize it as a disguise for the emotions that I was creating in song. At the time, I was pretty insecure, shy, introverted person, and I didn't really understand what went along with being the focal point or the frontman of a rock and roll band. So I wrote these songs about myself and embellished them to the point of fiction. Now, at 37 years old and the birth of my son, it just kind of created this sense of confidence that I think I should have at this stage in my life, to do something like this, he was sort of that catalyst that allowed me to realize that this didn't have to have a concept to it, that the themes could speak for themselves. Uh, also, they recorded it live, like in the sense of, you know, not separately on different tracks. They would record it at the same time in the same room, which is definitely like um, definitely a unique recording style, per se, for going in. Usually, they're recorded individually. And I, again, this was because they wanted that feeling of like, This isn't a fictional story. This is real life. This is four guys in a room playing this music all together, you know, like like as if we were live on a stage. And uh, I think that's a really cool choice as well. Definitely give it a listen. That last song, Peace to the Mountain, is absolutely beautiful. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's also funny during this time when they left their country home to live in Brooklyn for a time, they rented their home out to, I guess, a grow up operation un- unknowingly. And like the cops <laughs> got involved and he-, he tells that story as well. <laughs> and a lot of interviews and stuff. But Jake and Lexi, holy shit. I think we finally made it to the final album and the current state of Coheed and Cambria with Vaxis oh. Act One, The Unheavenly Creatures.
0: I have one last little factoid sure. that I want to drop before we get to that. Uh, in 2012, of all people, Mark Wahlberg yeah, how I, how of could the I Max forget? Payne movie fan. How could I forget? Uh, bought, his production company bought the rights to the Amory Wars. This was back in 2012. I think, uh, you know, the Afterman kind of brought the old vibes back. There, you know, People were sniffing out big, expensive universes to make movies out of. And uh, not a lot has happened from that, except... In 2018, in a video for GQ, Mark Wahlberg answered a question about the status of the movie, and he said there was uh, no big updates, and he mistakenly called it the Armory War. So, so. not very hopeful So, he's
4: he's, might as well me doing this. Uh, And also, that's the last we've heard anything about it, so... Yeah. Doubtful it, it, a lot's going Netflix on.
5: Netflix though. Netflix right? is
4: very interested, I think, from what people have said, but there's I mean a that's petition. all petition. There's a petition. That's but that yeah, so that means nothing. There's a change.org. It really has a huge <laughs> effect on things. But either way, um there's Vaxus Act One, the Unheavenly Creatures is the most recent album and novella. Um and by the way, this is a uh, the novella is co-written by Claudia and Chandra, and the artwork by Chase Stone is beautiful. If you can get a copy of this, or at least find a PDF of it, oh my god, I love the art in this, and it's like lovely little like story chunks that are all laid out. This is unlike Afterman, set way, 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 way before. This is set way, 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 way after the events of the Wait, Amory Chase Wars. Stone. Chase Stone is what I have. Why?
0: That's amazing. Uh, Chase Stone, the artist, was an in joke back when I was doing Drawfee stuff for college humor. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> he's he's a very accomplished fantasy author who's done stuff for like Magic the Gathering and all sorts of stuff. Uh, in the Drawfee lore, he is a uh pompadour coiffed pie thief. I believe <laughs> that's weird. That's weird. That it, I'm sorry, I haven't heard that name in years. Well,
4: either way, um, <laughs> so here we have a um a heaven's fence, a, a a actually. The planets formerly known as Heaven's Fence um, in a very Prince-like move, um, they are in rough shape. There is an event called the Great Crash that happens that um, has essentially made them like these shitty planets and uh, some very well-to-do folks decide to make them into profitable prison planets. The main characters, Sister Spider and Creature, are two such prisoners on one of these planets and they must fight to secure the safety of their unborn son, Vaxus. And it's got its own lore and story to accompany it. And I do hope that we do soon get a comic book, uh translation of no world for tomorrow. I definitely want to read it. I definitely find this whole discography to be amazing. Um, Jake, uh, before we close out this whole episode, uh, can you tell us the story of Jesse, Jesse's girl Too? possibly the weirdest thing about this band?
0: <laughs> uh uh, all I know is Rick Springfield, uh, soap opera actor, and Jesse's girl troubadour, like made a tweet, and then Claudio responded, and then was like, and they talked for a little bit, and then Claudio was like, oh, by the way, hit me up, I have an idea for a canonical sequel to Jesse's girl, yeah, Rick and the the Mad Lads
4: actually did Rick Springfield it. like like just tweeted, like getting into this band, Coheed and Cambria. And so and then, yeah, very offhandedly, was like, hey, I have a total sequel idea for your song. And then they got together. The video's great. People love it. I think it's just really fun that they did that. And Rick Springfield's on it. And it's just such a weird thing that is just, oh, also this about them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that came out in September 4th, 2020. And uh, here we are. We'll see what happens. I think everybody's just everything's closed down still for quarantine, but I, they, they should be still touring. They should still be putting out albums. And I feel like every time Claudio says he's done with the universe a few years pass, and he gets more ideas for it and he puts out more story for it. So who knows? Maybe we'll have albums and albums and comics and comics and novels and novellas to come.
0: I still can't believe there's no, I've been shotgunning so much lore and so much content and I don't know how this fucking what happened to Willem Ryan? What happened to, to <laughs> Claudio? What happened? What happened?
4: I am I like partly need to be released from it, but partly need to know the conclusion. Is Apollo
0: still a good boy? Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
4: um. Either yeah. way, Lexi, thank you so much for doing this episode with
0: thank us. Thank you
5: so much for doing this episode. And it was so wonderful to dive back in. And I have so many questions answered now, too. And I. This is this is just really great. I love Hell it. Hell
4: yeah, Jake! Thanks for being my co-host.
0: You know what, Holden? Thank you for being a friend.
4: <laughs> Check us out more on Patreon.com if you'd like to support us further. Five dollars a month, you get weekly bonus episodes. We shoot the shit about different things. We talk about different specific subjects. Lately, we've had a lot of fun just each going through each year in the aughts and uh, looking at what movies and music and video games came out that year and just kind of talking about how it reflected the year and all that sort of thing. That's been a lot of fun. Um, also uh, check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Monday, Tuesday and Friday night streams. Fantastic stuff. Jake.
0: Follow me on Twitter at best young to read all of my thoughts and plops. Uh, and I really have to, you, you got to check out that Patreon. Hell yeah. It's just, yeah, all you gotta do is type in patreon.com slash whizbrew and you'll discover a world of content and streaming experiences and community. Uh hey hey, hey, uh Lexi, uh what song should we should play us out for this episode?
5: Time Consumer mm-hmm.
0: And before we get
4: to, before we get to that, Lex, if you have anything else to plug, I would say also on my Twitch stream every other Sunday night is the Gloss stream. Gorgeous Ladies of Streaming. Um, and that happens with Lexi, Jackie and Carolina from the network. Uh, and that is at 8 p.m. ET every other Sunday night. Is there anything else you'd like to plug before we play it, this song out?
5: No, that's it. Gloss it up. All right.
4: There you go. Check it out. Check out Gloss. <laughs> Keep on whizzing. Bye, everybody, and never stop
3: bruising.
4: Hey, everybody, Holden here, and I want to give you all another month of Patreon shout-outs. Here we go. Uh, this is from uh, Klaus. Shout-out to Barry's Barrelborn, Night City's okest cop still searching for Brazils and requesting not green jello. Ishmael, you got your start out snorting dry, I'm just going to say a bodily fluid that starts with a C, and getting shot in the chest, but now you're the moral backbone of this group. Kyoko Amori, the rest of us are sorry we got you caught up in our mess, but we're glad you aim for their heads. That is uh, coming in from Reeves. This one's from Joe. You guys helped me enjoy being a nerd and the culture I have been afraid to embrace for so long. Thank you for making me feel comfortable. This shout out is to you guys. Never stop because you change people's lives more than you know. That is incredibly kind uh, to say, Joe. Thank you so much. And this, on a uh, side note, um, I got a request from Donnie Cates. Uh, I did an interview with him that you can find on the main feed of uh, uh, and Spotify of our podcast. And uh, he is an amazing comic book writer known for Venom, among many other things. He's just wanted to say i have this new book called the one you feed that i'm doing through brian k vaughn's company panel syndicate that's pay what you want model it's something that i wanted to do kind of to say thank you to people who have supported me and who are having a hard time financially it's also fun and spooky check it out at panelsyndicate.com. again it's called the one you feed and it's available for any amount you want to give thank you so much everybody and have a good one
3: This show is made possible
4: by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
3: Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for
1: you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org
2: slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw